0: Dream Star Institute presents Dreamwork with Dr. Scott Sparrow. Episode 2: Dreams as Initiations. Hello again. In episode 1, we looked at the co-creative paradigm and I gave you a brief rundown of the five-star method, which is based on the co-creative paradigm. Before I have other guests come on and discuss this, incredibly new and dynamic way of looking at dreams, I'd like to suggest that the co-creator paradigm changes the way we look at several different dimensions of dreams. It inspires us to ask new questions and to see new things that were always there but we couldn't see before. One of the new discoveries about dreams that occurs once you embrace the co-creator paradigm is the idea that dreams are initiations. They're like tests that come to provoke a new response in us so that we can resolve some kind of long-standing issue. To give you an example from my own life, about 40 years ago, a friend of mine died while driving back from Mexico late one night. Shortly afterward, my friend began appearing in my dreams. He appeared deranged, uh, even demonic. it seemed on hurting me or even killing me. Understandably, I would run from him, scared out of my mind, and wondering, what the heck, what have I done to hurt him? Well, what is he trying to do? I couldn't figure it out. In one dream, I realized it was a dream. I became lucid. And I tried to wake up to escape him. But I couldn't quite escape the dream in time, and he assaulted me before I could rouse myself from sleep. Now, as a budding metaphysician and deaf psychologist, I realized that my friend could have really been there in some sense, like a discarnate soul or earth-bound soul, as they say. The idea did nothing to reassure me, though. Because I was also a student of Jungian psychology at the time, I, I thought that this friend of mine might have represented some aspect of myself, which Jung would call my shadow, a part of me that was profoundly disenfranchised from my conscious ego. Along those lines, I eventually came to realize that he uh, represented my own aggressiveness and need for power that I had suppressed all of my young adult life under a facade of outward spirituality. I knew that he, both could be true, that he could be a discarnate spirit, but he could also be my shadow figure. Regardless, I realized that I had to do something. After having six or seven such dreams where I was attacked and would either wake up in time or wake up shortly after he caught up with me, I had a dream where I suddenly became lucid. Perhaps it was because he had a big knife and he was approaching me and I realized this has better be a dream or I'm going down. I said to him, go away. But well, Nothing happened. He just kept creeping closer and smiling that malicious smile, brandishing his knife. So I ended up pulling a knife out of my uh, belt and I fought with him and disarmed him. You would think that that would have been the end of the series because I was able to deal with him directly and more forcefully. But no, soon after that dream, he uh, caught up with me in a dream and threw me to the ground, sat on my chest and started beating my face with his fists. I thought he was going to kill me, and I just somehow freed one arm, and instead of hitting him, I reached up and rubbed his shoulder. At that moment, he stopped hitting me and began crying. His tears fell on my face as he said to me over and over again, I only want your love. So I think that in this particular instance, it didn't require a lucidity. I wasn't lucid in that dream. And it didn't require me to overpower him. Obviously, that didn't work in the long term. It required me to accept him in a deep way. And this kind of reconciliation or deep surrender to some aspect of ourselves that once our love, wants our attention, is a profound moment in the life of the individual. It's what Rilke often wrote about in his poetry, where he would say things like, perhaps everything which is terrible is, in the final analysis, only something that wants our love. If one looks objectively at the series of dreams I had with this old friend, one can see that the whole purpose of the dream series was apparently to elicit near responses from me. The dream was not so much a message or a letter to be opened as it was an opportunity to respond in a new way. I think the best way to describe it is as an initiation, as a test that was fulfilled only by acting in a new way and expressing a new spirit. I think any interpretation of the early dreams with my friend would have been largely useless and misleading unless they included an analysis of my inadequate response to him. But that's often missing and... Uh, Traditional dream work, we don't often troubleshoot the dreamer's response and either find it adequate or inadequate, creative or habitual. Before most of us can see the dream as an initiation, we really have to embrace the co creative paradigm. We've got to see the dream as not fixed from the outset, but as something that's set up for us to deal with. How we deal with it determines its outcome, not some arbiter, some authority somewhere else uh, determining the outcome ahead of time. One can see that our approach to dreams really mirrors the Western psyche's approach to higher power in general. Most of us in the West, coming out of conventional religion, are wedded to a view of dreams that matches a view of God that's deeply entrenched in our Western spiritual tradition. In influenced by traditional approaches to religion, we tend to believe without thinking much about it that dreams are oracles or messages from some external authority, some god or higher power, or the unconscious that we need to interpret. Like we're on the receiving end of something that's being kind of issued to us for our benefit if we could only figure it out. Now, along these lines, we assume that if we can interpret what's being told, we can revise our plans accordingly and avert unnecessary pain and suffering in our lives. You know. Furthermore, we can obtain glimpses of unfolding opportunities and be prepared to capitalize on them. But in every sense, we're receiving something that's already fully formed and designed ahead of time by some kind of intelligence apart from ourselves. This is very much in the spirit of theism in the West, where God is apart from us and that we are separated by nature. Now, this approach to dreams and to life and to higher power all works, but this dream source does not fully accommodate the view of God that Westerners have had for two millennium or more. It does not accommodate the idea that the unconscious and that the dream is principally a source of information. Indeed, the dream source seems to function more as a mentor or an initiator, or even a provocateur, who tells us frightfully little, but brings us the very things we've neglected or refused to accept about ourselves. One famous dream therapist, Dr. Montague Ullman, has described the quality of the dream as intrusive and novel. Now, that's a very interesting twist on dream, right? It doesn't sound like it's a, a message ready to be opened, but the fact that it's intrusive and novel gives it that kind of edgy quality that my friend who chased me around until I loved him had throughout the course of those dreams. So the dream didn't provide answers, did it? But it set up a situation that I had to deal with in a new way. And this is the nature of an initiation. Once we shift our perspective away from looking primarily for answers in dreams, we can see what has been there all along. Opportunities to confront and resolve deep issues through altering our responses to the challenges that are being presented to us. When we approach dreams as messages or oracles that are already put together for us ahead of time, then we we miss the opportunity to see them as tests. We ask questions about content once again. What does a knife mean? What does my friend mean? What are my associations to him? All of which are valuable, but beg the question, how did the dreamer deal with this man? That's why we find dreams so hard to interpret. We approach them as oracles, and they can be oracles, but they are more fundamentally initiations that challenge and provoke. If you are ready to examine your responses to dreams and to all of life from this standpoint, then you would do well to start from the premise articulated in a most succinct way by the teacher in the movie Dangerous Minds. As she confronted a group of complaining teenagers, she startled them by asserting... There are no victims here. Now, I realize that we can take this idea too far. Of course, there are victims in the world, and it's tragic and dangerous to overlook this fact. As the Buddha and Christ demonstrated, it is even incumbent on us to feel their pain and to share their struggles. But in most cases, we take our own passivity and victimization much too far. I have developed a methodology based on this approach to dream work, which we have already briefly considered in Episode 1, called The Five Star Method. While there are many techniques that naturally fit into a co-creative approach to dreams, the most important thing that you can do right now is to begin looking at your dreams as a test, even the ones that are ostensibly pleasant or so-called ordinary. An initiation test usually lurks behind every dream. Think about that. Then look at the points in the dream where you reacted, either inwardly or outwardly, or both, emotionally or mentally. Don't take these responses as necessary, even if they seem justified, especially any response prompted by fear or avoidance. Question every dreamer reaction and speculate on appropriate, bold, and creative alternatives. In this way, you may begin to see what might have happened in the old dream and what still could happen in your future dreams. This exercise of critiquing the dreamer's responses will, in itself, increase your internal readiness for future dream tests as they arise. In fact, you may surprise yourself with the creativity and fearlessness that springs forth in your dreams going forward and in waking life as well. To illustrate, one time I had a dream in which I was the prisoner of the devil. Not a very positive dream as you might imagine. I was terrified in the dream and I wanted to get away from him. So I saw an opening when he wasn't watching me and I ran across this dark area of, uh, of, a, of a yard at night. And I knew that if I could cross the yard and get beyond the open area, he wouldn't be able to see me and I could get away. Well, as I was running, suddenly I saw a shadow creep past me in my running and I knew that he was catching up to me. Uh, terrified, I turned around and stopped and I said, God have mercy, and the devil ran up to me. And as I, I sunk to my knees and prayed, suddenly he turned into a, a beautiful woman, dressed in white, surrounded by white light. She down and touched me in the forehead, and as she touched me, light came into my body and mind, and I knew that I'd been healed. Now that was a bad dream from the beginning, but a very good dream in terms of resolution. So again we see that the dreamer's response really is a pivotal point in whether a bad dream turns good or a good dream doesn't go anywhere based on a failure of the dreamer to accept the opportunity being given. Now, one might ask, are we talking about lucid dreaming? Well, lucid dreams can be part of this idea. You don't have to be lucid, though, to exercise new responses in the dream state. In fact, I've often thought to myself, and I've shared with many people, that I think not being lucid can be more profoundly life-changing if you do the right thing in the dream state. Take, for example, a bad relationship, or so-called bad relationship with somebody in your life. Say, maybe you're mother-in-law, just to use a stereotype. And you dream about her often, and you're often in conflict with her. And then one night you become lucid, and you realize that, hey, this is a dream, and you don't have to do anything in particular. And you decide to do something creative like um, fly away, or maybe uh, tell her what you think about her. Now, any of these responses could be constructive in your internal world, but perhaps none of them might be applicable in the waking state with the real mother-in-law. And so when we practice new responses from a lucid perspective, sometimes we do things that aren't really translatable. They don't really make sense in our real life version of that relationship. So that's why I often say to people, if you can respond to your mother-in-law in a new way, in a regular dream that you think is real, you're probably not going to fly away because you won't realize it's even possible You might be more careful about what you say to her because you're going to realize later on you're going to have to live with that consequence. So there's something about a non-lucid dream that gives you a full-bodied, completely incarnate, in real life, opportunity to respond to a situation in a new way. I've been into lucid dreaming all my life and I value it highly. But I think sometimes it can give us kind of a, a crack in the exit door and allow us to not be fully present in situations that are difficult in dreams. Certainly we don't emancipate ourselves from situations in waking life by saying, well, it's only a dream. But if you think about it, treating the dream as an initiation translates into a wonderfully responsible attitude toward life as a whole. Instead of regarding ourselves as passive witnesses in life's unfolding drama or in the dream state itself, we begin to see ourselves the way we perhaps really are, as co-creators with life, with our relationships, capable of transforming our experiences of life and our relationships with others through altering our responses to what is being presented. Hello again. In episode one, we looked at the co-creator paradigm, and I gave you a brief rundown of the five-star method, which is based on the co-creator paradigm. Before I have other guests come on and discuss this incredibly new and dynamic way of looking at dreams, I'd like to suggest that the co-creator paradigm changes the way we look at several different dimensions of dreams. It inspires us to ask new questions and to see new things that were always there but we couldn't see before. One of the new discoveries about dreams that occurs once you embrace the co-creator paradigm is the idea that dreams are initiations. They're like tests that come to provoke a new response in us so that we can resolve some kind of long-standing issue. To give you an example from my own life, about 40 years ago, a friend of mine died while driving back from Mexico late one night. Shortly afterward, my friend began appearing in my dreams. He appeared deranged, uh, even demonic. it seemed on hurting me or even killing me. Understandably, I would run from him, scared out of my mind and wondering, what the heck? What have I done to hurt him? Well, what is he trying to do? I couldn't figure it out. In one dream, I realized it was a dream. I became lucid, and I tried to wake up to escape him. But I couldn't quite escape the dream in time, and he assaulted me before I could rouse myself from sleep. Now, as a budding metaphysician and depth psychologist, I realized that my friend could have really have been there in some sense. I was also a student of Jungian psychology at the time. I, I thought that this friend of mine might have represented some aspect of myself, which Jung would call my shadow, a part of me that was profoundly disenfranchised from my conscious ego. Along those lines, I eventually came to realize that he uh, represented my own aggressiveness and need for power that I had suppressed all of my young adult life, under a facade of outward spirituality. I knew that he, both could be true, that he could be a discarnate spirit, but he could also be my shadow figure. Regardless, I realized that I had to do something. After having six or seven such dreams where I was attacked and would either wake up in time or wake up shortly after he caught up with me, I had a dream where I suddenly became lucid perhaps it was because he had a big knife and he was approaching me and I realized this has better be a dream or I'm going down. I said to him, go away. Well, nothing happened. He just kept creeping closer and smiling, that malicious smile, and brandishing his knife. So I ended up pulling a knife out of my uh, belt and I fought with him and disarmed him. You would think that that would have been the end of the series because I was able to deal with him directly and more forth, forcefully, but no. Soon after that dream, he uh, caught up with me in a dream and threw me to the ground, sat on my chest and started beating my face with his fists. I thought he was going to kill me and I just somehow freed one arm and instead of hitting him, I reached up and rubbed his shoulder. At that moment, he stopped hitting me and began crying. His tears fell on my, to my face as he said to me over and over again, I only want your love. So I think that in this particular instance, it didn't require a lucidity. I wasn't lucid in that dream. And it didn't require me to overpower him. Obviously, that didn't work in the long term. It required me to accept him in a deep way. And this kind of reconciliation or deep surrender to some aspect of ourselves that once our love, once our attention is a profound moment in the life of the individual. It's what Rilke often wrote about in his poetry, where he would say things like, perhaps everything which is terrible is, in the final analysis, only something that wants our love. If one looks objectively at the series of dreams I had with this old friend, one can see that the whole purpose of the dream series was apparently to elicit near responses from me. The dream was not so much a message or a letter to be opened, as it was an opportunity to respond in a new way. I think the best way to describe it is as an initiation, as a test that was fulfilled only by acting in a new way and expressing a new spirit. I think any interpretation of the early dreams with my friend would have been largely useless and misleading unless they included an analysis of my inadequate response to him. But that's often missing in traditional dream work. We don't often troubleshoot The dreamer's response and either find it adequate or inadequate, creative or habitual. Before most of us can see the dream as an initiation, we really have to embrace the co creative paradigm. We've got to see the dream as not fixed from the outset, but as something that's set up for us to deal with. How we deal with it determines its outcome, not some arbiter, some authority somewhere else uh, determining the outcome ahead of time.